I'm Hunter. And I'm Clay. And you're listening to episode six of The Good Fight. So it's been a little bit of time since our last episode. Obviously, we've gone more than a week since we aired one. I'm going to blame my brother for that one. I was busy helping out with uh, his wedding last week. Clay was a little busy, but congrats to Tyler and Sammy. Happy for you guys. Hope the honeymoon's going well. Yeah, I mean, a little selfish uh, for him to get married when he knows we have a podcast to record, but uh, congratulations out to him and his wife. We've got a couple big Packer games since we last talked. First, we let off our last one talking about the upcoming Bears game. Now everyone knows that the Packers had their miraculous comeback. At halftime, I was actually writing an article saying that season's over, Rodgers is done, and then when he came out, I was like, all right, well, you know, we'll, we'll hold off. We'll see what's happening. And obviously we know what happened after that, his three touchdown performance in the second half to to give him the W in week one. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I kind of ate my words a little bit that first game, said that Khalil Mack wasn't going to make much of an impact, uh, only being there for four days, and I think we all definitely saw the impact he's made, and just glad that Aaron Rodgers was able to come out okay and a big win for the Packers to start the season off. When he went into the locker room, I couldn't help but think of the Billy Madison uh, part when he's playing dodgeball, and then he goes in and the teacher's like, oh no, you just wait until... The next game starts, you get back out there. Then he walks out and catches the ball, and he's like, now you're all in big, big trouble. And that's what he looked like. He looked like he was a grown man playing against fourth graders, the way he controlled that second half. And, um, I mean, a just true competitor and just shows how great he is. And, uh, you know, it only took one leg for him to beat the Bears. Then Packers came in last week against the Vikings. I admittedly picked the Vikings to win that game, but... I think for the majority of it, it seemed like the Packers outplayed them and like they should have had the win. Obviously, they tied it in the end, 29-29. Only time in NFL history that that has been the final score of a game. But what did you think of the call on Clay Matthews late? Yeah, I mean, I think it just shows how soft the game's getting right now. Clay Matthews, you can see the hit. Not only does he hit them, you know, they say don't hit quarterbacks high in the head. Don't hit quarterbacks low in the legs. Hits them right in the middle of the body. As he's falling, he puts one hand down on the ground to brace himself so that he doesn't throw his full weight into Cousins. I mean, just it seemed like a textbook way to not get a roughing the passer call. And, you know, it very rarely do you think, especially from my standpoint, you never blame the refs for a loss, but you can single-handedly point to that play and say that poor decision, that poor call led to a tie in this case but you know a loss in reality because that's like a loss compared to what we could have had and that's really tough to see it is interesting too Kirk Cousins stat line after the game was like 400 some yards four touchdowns if that interception had stood his stat line would have been something like 270 yards three touchdowns two picks much less impressive and he would have cost him the game late so you know they did have more chances to win it but that one was definitely a bummer anybody who didn't see it the NFL came out and said after the game that they were going to use the hit that Clay Matthews had as a teaching tape for what is roughing the passer they said it was called right because if you watch it this does happen most of us I know you and I included don't believe that it should have been a penalty but when Clay Matthews goes he goes behind Kirk Cousins legs and pulls up So he doesn't land with his full weight on him. He doesn't pick him off the ground and drop him. But he does what I think most of us learned was a form tackle in sixth grade. And apparently you can't form tackle the quarterback anymore. Well, and that's, you know, it's just ridiculous. That's the NFL's classic way to try to protect their refs and say that they never do anything wrong, which we all know is complete bogus. You know, like I said, you can't tackle them high. You can't tackle them low. You can't tackle them in the middle. Basically, at this point, all they're saying is you physically can't touch the quarterback. And when the game's happening at that speed, at that 
you know, in that moment of that game, there's no way he could have done that differently. There's that was the best way to protect the quarterback. The roughing the passer penalty is solely in place to protect the quarterback. Nothing that Clay Matthews did would have led to an injury to Kirk Cousins. There's about seven other ways he could have tackled him that could have been devastating to his career. He did it the right way. He did it as the ball is getting released. I just I think it's the NFL's protecting it by saying, oh, it's a great call, and it's we all know it's bogus. Well, and they called it the Aaron Rodgers effect. But if you look at the snapshot when Aaron Rodgers lets the ball go last year on the play he broke his collarbone on, he lets the ball go, and Anthony Barr has about a step or two until he hits Rodgers. You could debate whether or not that was a late hit or if it was fine. If you look at the snapshot as Kirk Cousins is letting the ball go, Clay Matthews is already there. He's already uh, beginning the process of hitting him. So it's not like one where... He, he let it go. Clay took one, two steps. Last week against the Bears, he definitely did late in the game on Trubisky. Balls out, took a couple steps, hit him. That's late. But when the guy is already there and he's ready to hit the quarterback as the ball's coming out, you can't flag that. Yeah, I just, I mean, I think the Aaron Rodgers rule, I get where you're going with that, but I also think Aaron Rodgers would agree that like that's part of football. Obviously, he didn't want to have his collarbone broke last year, but I think we can all agree that that was a football play. Even that one we're upset about. But there's no way Vikings fans can look themselves in the mirror and say that they believe that that was the right call to be made. Other news in the NFL that we want to touch on is the strong, well, phenomenally strong starts of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Patrick Mahomes. Now, anybody who talked to me before the season knows that I went huge on Patrick Mahomes in fantasy. In almost every one of my leagues, I drafted Patrick Mahomes. So I have been very excited by his uh, just under 600 yards and 10 touchdowns throughout the first two weeks, set an NFL record for passing touchdowns in the first two weeks of a season in what is his second year. He started one game late last year, but he's the new quarterback of the Chiefs this year. But Ryan Fitzpatrick has surprised a lot of people, and I know you're feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, I mean, 14th season in the NFL, I got Fitz fever. I'm, I'm all in. He's 35 years old. I think he's been growing the beard since birth. And he right now has 819 yards passing through two weeks. They're 2-0, and and there's some big controversy on who's the starting quarterback in Tampa, but I don't know how you could not start the Harvard grad, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's just on fire right now, both in media and on the field. Ryan Fitzpatrick had 156.2 passer rating week one against the Saints. He did drop a little bit, admittedly, week two. He had a 144.4, so he's at a rough 151.5 on the season. For anybody who wonders, 158.3 is a perfect NFL passer rating. So not half bad. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. You look at the stat line, like you said, he got a lot worse. He threw a pick week two, got sacked twice, um, only threw for 402 yards and four touchdowns, and got another win against the NFL defending champions, Philadelphia Eagles. Now, Fitzpatrick and the Buccaneers take on the Steelers this coming Monday, actually, so we can all watch Fitzmagic on Monday Night Football. The Steelers have struggled through the first two weeks, so I do think you might see him light it up again. The Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes are taking on the 49ers. 49ers also have been nothing to write home about so far this year, so we could see both those guys light it up into week three. Yeah, and I mean, I think the Chiefs are the real deal all the way through. As good as Mahomes has been playing, and I think their full roster up and down, I think Kansas City is definitely the team in the AFC right now. Now... We hyped up the Badgers quite a bit prior to uh, prior to the season and then after their week one game. And if you follow the Badgers at all, you don't know what we're about to talk about. They fell off the wagon big time against BYU last Saturday. The number six Badgers coming in against an unranked BYU, losing at home at Camp Randall. And 
barring some miraculous play the rest of the season, their chances at a playoff berth and at any hope at a national championship were shot just like that. Well, and I mean, I think I think the only silver lining of this is the win against Wisconsin moves BYU into the top 25. So if BYU can win out and have a great year and finish ranked and Wisconsin ends the year with only one loss, I think Wisconsin's got a shot. I mean, it's not likely, but to win the Big Ten, they still that didn't hurt them in the Big Ten at all. BYU is a non-conference opponent. It's ironic that we talked about their weak non-conference schedule and then they lose one of those games. Now they're coming into the heart of their schedule against the Big Ten, but they're not out of it. I mean, they dropped the farthest of any team in the top 25. They dropped 12 places all the way down to 18, but they're not out of it by any means, especially in the Big Ten where it's anyone's ball game as long as they can win through and win that championship. Yeah, if they win the Big Ten championship, so if they go 11-1 and in the regular season and pull out the Big Ten championship, They'll have a really good chance at going to the playoffs, but based on how they've played through three weeks, I don't know how hopeful I am that they're actually going to right the ship. I don't know how you feel about it. For me, watching the Badgers play and watching the quarterback play that they have year in and year out is disgusting, especially with what we see in Green Bay every Sunday. Well, yeah, and I think that you have to keep that in mind as you watch because we have such high expectations here in Wisconsin watching Aaron Rodgers and then, you know, Hornybrook's not elite and people joke about, oh, he is, this is his year, this is his year, but... In the past, Wisconsin gets away with it because that's not their game, but the game is evolving and the quarterback position continues to be a big factor. And you have the Heisman favorite in Wisconsin, Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, but you still have to have a quarterback that can make plays. And unless he completely turns it around, um, I think it's going to be a tough end of the year for Wisconsin. Hopefully they still have a good year. There's no reason to count them out, but like you said, based on the last three weeks, it's not looking great. Well, and Hornerbrook makes smart decisions with the ball and you know he's got a little bit of mobility but he has got the least inspiring arm I think I've ever seen in a college quarterback the dude's got a wet noodle for a left arm that he's chucking balls with and whereas we see Aaron Rodgers or these quarterbacks from some other schools throwing frozen ropes all of a sudden you see Hornerbrook and it's out there and it's like he's lobbing every pass like he's tapping the button in Madden instead of holding it down yeah, it just I remember last year even when he had his good game in uh the final game against Miami, he threw for a lot of yards, but there were a lot of those passes that were off the mark where wide receivers were making great plays and I think Ted Gilmore does a great job there um with the wide receiver crew. They have some great athletes there that can pull in some of his passes, but he's not making it easy on them. So, uh definitely need to see a better quarterback game and I think I hate to say this about Wisconsin, but you got to see a better defense overall too. I mean, that's been their pride and joy in the past, and that's what they got to lean on coming down the stretch. Yeah, if you would have told us before the game that they were going to score in the 20s against BYU, I think we'd have thought, well, I wish they'd score more, but there's no way they're going to lose with that. If you let up, you know, what do they let up? Four touchdowns versus BYU? That's not going to cut it. So in other news in NCAA football, Alabama continues to reign supreme, 3-0. and um, Georgia hops over Clemson in the AP Top 25. My boys at Notre Dame, 3-0 and with three rough wins, but still three wins, sitting at eighth. Um, and I think the real surprise is LSU has had one of the toughest schedules to start the year, playing uh, the non-conference game right off the bat, week one, getting the big win, and now beating Auburn. They're all the way up to sixth place, started the year in the low 20s. So... Um, exciting to see LSU up there, and I think it's going to be a great big SEC mess as it is every year. So a lot of good college football to watch, even if we're a little bit disappointed about the Badgers. In other news, the Brewers are looking a little bit better than we had surmised they would a couple weeks ago when we talked about them. They had a little bit of a slump back in August, but they seem to have righted the ship. 
and they're three games up on the Cardinals right now for the wild card spot. So both the Brewers and the Cardinals are holding the two wild cards, and the Brewers are up a total of four and a half games on Colorado, who's the next team out of the wild card. Yeah, and again, like you said, I think they're continuing to prove us wrong. We said we were just waiting for their breakdown, waiting for their breakdown, and they're holding steady. And not only are they holding steady, but they're gaining some momentum gaining some momentum you know winning two against Chicago was huge and obviously we would have liked to seen three there and get the sweep but still gaining room only two and a half back of the Cubs and Yelich is the real deal I mean anyone who doesn't have him at least in their top contenders for MVP uh, is crazy it hit his second cycle against the Reds they said it was the first time in like a hundred years a player had hit the cycle twice in the same season against one team getting a little bit too specific for me saying against the same opponent but just hitting two cycles in a single season let alone a career is incredible well, that's a baseball statistician is my dream job, you know, finding the left-handed pitcher to throw the first strike uh, west of the Mississippi in a night game when it's their third game in four nights, when the wind is 10 miles an hour and the uh, weather is above 70 degrees. I think I just, I love the specificity of the baseball stats. So the Brewers have three series left. They are off today, and then they have a series against the Pirates, followed by the Cardinals, and then end the series with a American League series against the Tigers. So the Pirates still have a winning record, though they're pretty much out of the playoff hunt, but it'll be important to win those games. And then the series with the Cardinals will be crucial to, one, maintaining the wild card spot and maintaining the upper hand on the Cardinals so that they get to host a wild card game. Yeah, and then in other news in the major leagues, Boston's continuing to run away. Uh, first team to 100 wins, they're at 103. Next best is Houston at 95. So the AL looking really strong, top end, really weak, low end, whereas the NL is pretty even throughout with the Atlanta Braves leading the NL East, Cubs still in the lead in the Central, and the Dodgers leading the NL West. All right, so now on to hockey news. Big, everyone's really excited about the Khalil Mack trade. The NHL had a trade that was very similar um, conditions to a Khalil Mack type trade. The Ottawa Senators trade, Eric Carlson to the San Jose Sharks. For those of you non-hockey fans out there, Eric Carlson is the premier defenseman in the NHL, been the captain of Ottawa the last few years, been a Norris Trophy uh, nominee many times in his career, very offensive-minded defensive player. So again, kind of gives you that same type of feel that a guy like Khalil Mack gets you. He gets you points. Um, he's a leader on a team, and he's just the guy to have. So what's crazy about this trade, Eric Carlson was traded to the San Jose Sharks for four players two picks and two conditional picks those four players are chris tierney defenseman dylan demilo and forward prospects josh norris and rudolph balsers but they get a first round draft pick a second round draft pick and then hear this this is the craziest thing hunter i want your opinion on this the two conditional picks so should the sharks sign carlson to a contract extension which they're planning on doing ottawa would then receive another second round pick from san jose which would upgrade to a first-round pick if San Jose reaches the Stanley Cup Finals playoffs. That's a lot to take in. That's only the first part. The second pick, if Carlson gets traded back to the Eastern Conference and the Senators have to play against him more often, the Sharks re or the Senators receive another first-round pick. So, there, I mean, there's just a lot there. These conditions are crazy. So basically what it's saying is they do not want to have to play against him. They also do not want to see him sign an extension. But if either of those things happen, another pick gets thrown in. That's a first rounder. So um, what's your take on kind of these crazy additions? Well, I think it's a smart move for them to say, you know, one, we want to benefit as much as possible. And for, what was it, San Jose? If you're San Jose, you're thinking, well, if we go to the Stanley Cup Finals, 
yeah, we'll gladly give you another first-round pick. What do we care? We just we hit the pinnacle. And if we trade him back into your conference, we'd have to give you another pick. However, we just gave up everything for this guy. We're not sending him back into your conference. I think it's just an insurance move for them. But overall, it's like, yeah, let's try to get as much as we can from this guy, and let's make some conditional picks where if they meet the requirements for those picks, they're probably not too bummed about sending them. And if they don't, we still got a boatload. So. Yeah, again, four players, two picks, and an additional possible two picks conditionally. So a big move. Ottawa gets a lot for the future. San Jose gets the premier player in the NHL for the now. So big news in the NHL. Excited to see what comes coming forward. Now, in our debate last time around, we talked about which defensive player would you like to start a defense with now. So you're starting a defense from scratch. Who are you taking? I took Aaron Donald, and you took... Jalen Ramsey. I finally got off the schneid. Great feeling. Won the debate. Aaron Donald is what our Twitter poll came out with. We did have a few people chime in that they thought Joey Bosa should be the number one guy. Uh, I think that Joey Bosa's had a little bit of injury problems to start his career, and I don't know that I've seen the impact in all facets to the level that I think Aaron Donald does it. So I still stick with Aaron Donald, and apparently most of you did as well, but I thought we'd just recap that for you quick. This week's debate, we're going to touch on a topic that we talked about earlier, and that is Patrick Mahomes and Ryan Fitzpatrick. In particular, which one of them is the real deal as opposed to a flash in the pan, and which one of them is going to have a better 2018 as a whole? So not just where we started, but where are we going to finish? Who's going to have it best? I'll let you start. So I'm taking Ryan Fitzpatrick all the way. I mean, his numbers these first two weeks have just been phenomenal, and I think in my opinion, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the ultimate like backup quarterback to put on any team. He's been here 14 seasons. Every year you seem to hear his name on some team. He's probably gotten all 32 jerseys at this point, but he always plays well wherever he's at. I mean, even the years when he's been the starter and there's teams haven't been very good and he's gotten a full season with the Jets, I mean, he still was throwing for almost 4,000 yards, 31 touchdowns with the Jets in 2015. Back in those days when he was with Buffalo, he was throwing for over 3,000 yards every year. I mean, he's, he's everywhere he goes, he kind of slowly sits in that middle range. And I think he's finally got the weapons and the confidence now at 35 years old to step up. Through two games right now, as we alluded to earlier, he's got a 151 passer rating. He's thrown for 819 yards, eclipsing 400 in both games. And he has eight touchdowns with only one pick. But the stat that's the biggest on both those ends is two wins. And they're not blowout wins. He was saying consistent, carrying the team through one-score games in both. They won by eight against New Orleans and by six against Philadelphia. So not only does he have the stats to back it up, but he's also proving that he's a leader in the locker room. He's a guy that his teammates are rallying around that can lead them to victories down the stretch. So, I mean, I don't know. There's a whole lot of stuff going on with him and Jameis Winston there in Tampa, but obviously some players have voiced their opinions that Fitzmagic is their guy going down the stretch, and I hope that he continues to have success. It's fun to see a guy like this that's stuck around the league so long, working hard. I would like to see him start for the remainder of the year. I'm going to list off a couple stats for our listeners about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, we, we call him a journeyman. These are the teams that he's played for since 2005 when he was drafted. The Rams, Bengals, Bills, Titans, Texans, Jets, and now the Buccaneers. And for a majority of those teams, he started 10 games or more in a single season. So he was basically the starter for at least one season on every one of those teams except for the Rams, who initially drafted him. 
he's been a starter pretty much every year since 2008, be it because he entered as a starter or somebody went down with injury. And in all that time, the most yards he's ever thrown for in a season is 3,900. That was with the Jets a couple years back. But for the most part, he's been about a 3,000 or 2,000 uh, passing yards a year guy. And I think that his history works against him. Now, can he maintain it at, what is he, 35 years old? If he can maintain that and prove that 35-year-olds can learn tricks too in the NFL, then power to him. But I think what Patrick Mahomes has on his side is he's a young guy, he's got a young offense, and he has got an absolute cannon for an arm. Patrick Mahomes, when he came into the league, was talked about as a Brett Favre-esque gunslinger. The difference is he doesn't turn the ball over like Brett Favre did. He's got 10 touchdown passes through the first two weeks, though only 582 yards. Uh, averaging a little bit under 300 a game as opposed to Fitzpatrick over four. I think that the talent on the Chiefs' offense lends itself to long-term success a little bit more. I think that the schemes with Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Kareem Hunt, you got a lot going on there, and they absolutely lit up Pittsburgh and the Chargers the first two weeks. Their offense is averaging 40 points a game. I think they're going to maintain not that high of an average, but I think that he's going to hold it out. I expect him to best the best numbers that Fitzpatrick has ever put up in this, what is his first year as a starter. Yeah, and I think you brought up a good point. Like you said, he's shown for all these touchdowns and no interceptions, but that's what I kind of like about Fitzmagic is he's been through the trials. It's his 14th year in the NFL. He's not going to run to the sidelines and freak out and have a panic attack when things don't go right because he knows how to handle it. He's a veteran. Mahomes is a kid. He's a young gun. Um, he's super talented, and he's got a ego the size of Texas right now. And I just am waiting for that moment when he has his first bad game because it's the NFL and it's going to happen. You can't expect him to um, throw ton, 10 touchdowns every two games, and there's going to be a game where he throws three picks. There's going to be a game where they lose, and I'm curious to see how he rebounds from it. I hope he does well. I actually wish for his success. But I think just this year, as we talked about for the debate, I think just for this season, I think he's going to have some struggles throughout, and I think Fitzpatrick's going to just have a career year and um, a great way to kind of lead into the end of his career, especially with the swagger he's got right now. I just, I'm just i in love with Fitzpatrick right now. I get that Mahomes is a younger guy, but I think something that works for him is this is not his rookie year. So he was a first-round pick last year, spent almost the entire season behind Alex Smith, watched uh, Alex Smith lead them into the playoffs, and then they lost in the first round. I believe they lost to the Titans. He's had a full offseason after that to prepare to work in as the starter. They traded Alex Smith early on. He didn't have to compete for that starting job. He got to work with all the talent they have on that offense. So I think he's younger, but I don't think that's going to lend itself to you know rookie mistakes. I think he, he's going to have a few of those. He's going to have a few bumps in the road. But Ryan Fitzpatrick has been having rookie mistakes for 14 years. So though he's figuring it out now and he's had a lot of good games over his career I think he's shown that he doesn't have you know that that special quality and I think that the arm strength that Mahomes possesses does give him a special quality and that ego the size of Texas is just helping him right now so barring he goes on a, a monster slump I think he's gonna have the better year but anyway let us know that poll will be on our Twitter page that's at the good fight pod Again, it's at the Good Fight Pod. Check the poll out there. We'll have it open for two days after our pod goes live, and you can vote on it. We'll talk about it next week. 
All right, so now on to our good fight portion. Like we said, we've been gone a couple of weeks. There's a lot going on in the world, but we're going to go back to an old, reliable, great Christian guy that's a big part of the game, um, Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy, for those of you that don't know, a Hall of Fame coach who won a Super Bowl with the Indianapolis Colts, now works for NBC as an analyst for NFL football, and is a very um, devout Christian who's very unapologetic about it. It's kind of cool. There's an article released in August talking about um, how he feels his role at NBC is not only to talk football and to be an expert in that, which he without a doubt is, but to also be that voice for those Christian athletes that sometimes get overshadowed in the media or are their comments are kind of withheld based on their Christian beliefs. So one of the big stories of Tony Dungy's career as an analyst was last year after the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl when he spoke to Nick Foles and the quote from ChristianHeadlines.com is that Nick Foles told me he felt that God had him on the Philadelphia Eagles team for a reason. Uh, he talked about how he'd been a backup quarterback and was now starting a Super Bowl, and he felt very confident going into that game because he believed God had him there for a reason and that there was a bigger purpose for that game. Tony Dungy went on to say that he had a lot of people write in after that thanking him for not being afraid to uh, promote the religious views of his Christian faith and said, I'm glad that you said and reported on exactly what Foles said, and I'm glad you talked about his faith in Christ. I think a lot of times media is kind of scared to reach that out, and I'm glad there's someone like Tony Dungy willing to continue to fight the good fight and talk about his faith on life. Yeah, a lot of times we don't see the comments people make because they're not aired. I remember, I think it was Robert Griffin's rookie year, he wore a shirt that said, no faith, no God. And it was like K-N-O-W, but it also then had like the letters blacked out in the middle, like no faith and there, there's no God. But it was a, a religious shirt and they made him turn it inside out for his interview so you couldn't see it. It seems like Christianity or just faith in general appears in the news when something bad happens for the most part. And we've had the scandals and things like that going on recently. But there's so many good things that people do and that people say and that people live out in their lives and we don't get to hear about those. So Tony Dungy is a great example where he does a lot to publicize that, but when you see him on TV, it's him talking football, things like that. You don't see those comments aired during a broadcast. So it's good to know about those. That's a good story he picked out. Yeah, and I think, again, like you said, Tony Dungy is an expert by every sense of the word in his knowledge of football. And him being Christian doesn't take away from that. And him being a football coach doesn't take away from him being Christian. He lives those lives together unapologetically. And his three books, Quiet Strength, Uncommon, and The One Year in the Uncommon Life Daily Challenges are all three books that he's written that I absolutely love that deal with being living a Christian life throughout whatever. And all three books, which I love, are devoted to how to live a Christian life every day, regardless of what your profession is or what you're doing. I read Quiet Strength in high school, and it was a life-changing book for me, um, talking about his career growing up in the NFL and how he continued to live his faith throughout all of that. So uh, just really excited to be able to watch Tony Dungy and to be a fan of his, both as a football coach, as a football expert, and as a Christian. So Coach Dungy, you probably won't hear this, but if you do, thank you, sir. Thanks for listening, guys. Remember, run the race, keep the faith. And until next time, fight the good fight.